Hey everyone, this is John Gunter from the Eagle Community Church of Christ in Mont Bellevue, Texas. Thanks again for tuning in to our podcast. This week we have a special guest, Paul Fagala, one of the members of our church, is finishing up the series Faith, Hope, and Love as Paul covers the topic of love. We want to invite you out to our church. We'd love to have you anytime you can in person. Uh, you can check out the details at eaglechurchofchrist.com. We also stream live on Facebook every Sunday morning, 9 a.m. for that. So join us whether in person or online. Uh, just know you'll be our special guest, and we look forward to seeing you. Thanks again for listening. Love that song. Beautiful song. Well, good morning. Good morning. Glad to see everyone here this morning. Uh, told first service I uh, when I first met John, we uh, talked a little bit, and and I said I made the mistake of telling him I'd been in ministry before, and uh, he, uh, you could see he was oh, ooh, yeah, got somebody, yeah. So, and um, and so Jordan, it wasn't anything that you did last time. You know, even the third string quarterback needs some practice every now and then. So. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where we are this morning. So, but yeah, good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning and, and, uh, hope that, uh, hope that we can really get into God's word here. So John's been talking, doing a series. If you haven't been here about faith, hope, and love. And two weeks ago, we talked about what faith was last week. He talked about hope. And this week we're going to talk about love. And so the question that we have to ask is what is love? So musicians and poets, you know, they've been writing about what love is for thousands of years. Um, in 1993, Hathaway had a song called What is Love? Asking that very question. And then, of course, according to the Beatles, all you need is love, right? So it's, uh, you know, there's, love, love has a lot of different meanings. But let me ask you, would you agree with me that what we need today is a whole lot more of genuine Christ-like love in our world? But the, one of the greatest challenges that we have is how do we define what love is? Because it's a word that's thrown around a lot, and it, and it means all kinds of different things. So someone can say, I love my spouse. And then turn right around and say, I love vanilla ice cream. I would hope that the level of love that is there is a little different between the two. But we say the same thing for, it, for both things. And th th I think that overuse of love has really kind of started watering down what it really means to love. And, and, and a lot of times we take love to mean anything but what it means in the Bible. And so today I want, I want to look at what love truly means and how we can, as a church, we can exemplify God's love. And instead of doing uh, what the de world's definition of it is. And so the scripture that we've been using is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So John said he did a wonderful job talking about what faith is uh, and, and, and what hope are to what those two things are to Christians and how important they are in our lives. And so we're going to look today at love. So if you have your Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians 13, if you would. 
And typically, the, when we hear this passage, a lot of times, it's, it's in the context of a wedding. And the preacher will read uh, the, the passage and tell the bride and groom, this is what your love and your life is supposed to look like. And that is definitely an applicable place to read this, but it's so much more. We have so much more that, and Paul's def- definition of love applies to our daily lives, not just to a marriage. So we're going to read through 1 Corinthians 13. So uh, we'll start in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and, it, and I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part... I know then I shall know it fully, even I am fully as even as I am fully known. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So I want to look at a closer definition of what love is and how Paul defines love. So as we go through this, I would like for you to ask yourself how how well are you applying these things in your life? As we go through them. So the first thing that Paul says, love is patient. And I find it really interesting that he starts with patience. Because isn't that something that we all struggle with? And for love to truly be love, we have to be patient with each other. Second thing he says that is it's kind. We We all can tell, we all know what the definition of being kind to each other is it does not envy do you do you love other people when they're blessed more than you or differently than you how's your love when that type of thing happens it does not boast doesn't walk around saying hey look look how loving i am see all these great things i'm doing i'm so loving shouldn't you shouldn't you be envious it doesn't boast in those things it's not proud it doesn't dishonor others. How how are you? How do you speak about other people? Do you talk about people behind their backs? Do you say do you say bad things about other people? It's not self-seeking. Do you think about others before you think about yourself? It's not easily angered. I had two or three people this morning. Uh, Tell me that I stepped on their toes when I brought up, how's love when you're driving? <laughs> um, 
parents, how's love with your kids? It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. How often do we hold grudges and keep those things uh, in, in our hearts? It doesn't delight in evil. When someone you don't like, when something bad happens to someone that you don't like, one of your enemies, do you say, ha, God got you. Karma, buddy. Or do you pray for that person? We're going to talk a little bit about that. It rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Do we stand up for the weaker people? It always hopes. Do we look at the positive or do we, do we look at negative things and lose our hope? It always, let me catch up, it always perseveres. Do you continue loving even when it's tough? And it never fails. No matter what happens, love is there. And so there's no question when Paul puts these things in 1 Corinthians, there's no question what biblical Christian, Christian love is supposed to look like. And if you notice about all these things, there's not a feeling among one of them. This is all action. Love is an action, not a feeling. And Paul doesn't give us an out based on our feelings. He doesn't say love is patient unless someone has wronged you. Love is kind unless someone has disappointed you or unless someone doesn't treat you the way that you treat them. There is no out. Paul says this is what love looks like regardless of any kind of circumstances, any kind of feelings that we may have. And so throughout the Bible, there's a lot of different ways that love is talked about. And so I wanted to look at a few of those this morning and about love in our lives and, and, and our love for God. Utmost importance, the highest priority in our life is the love for God. And so in Deuteronomy chapter four, uh, chapter six, verses four and five, the writer says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. He says, love God with every fiber of your being. And that is our number one priority in our life. And Jesus, Jesus identified this as the greatest command that we could uh, that we could have to love God with everything that we had. The second, Jesus says, is like it, our love for others in general. So in Matthew 22, verse 39, and he said, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul in Philippians chapter 2, and we won't, we won't read the passage, but in Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about the kind of love that Jesus had for us and that he says, we are supposed to model that kind of love for other people, that Jesus didn't, didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he was willing to come down and take on flesh to the point of dying. And Paul says, that's the kind of love that you're supposed to have for your neighbor. And then love for our fellow Christians, not just for others in general, but love for our fellow Christians in John chapter 13, 34 and 35 he says, a new command I give you, love one another 
As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. It's a really cool thought to think that our love for each other can be one of the greatest evangelistic tools out there. Because when people come to see us and they see that we truly do love each other and that we're not doing what other people do to each other, but we really support each other and we, we're really being with each other, what those things in 1 Corinthians 13 are, they see that and they want to be a part of what we're doing. But if people come and they hear us talking bad about each other, saying bad things about each other, and, and just in general not loving, the question then is, is this really how God wants things? I'm not sure I want to be a part of that. And so Paul says, so Jesus says, people will know that you're my disciples by how you love each other. And so that's definitely a uh, definitely something to consider, especially when it comes to social media and people who might have a different political view than you have. I've seen some pretty awful things that Christians have said to each other on social media, and it really makes me sad, and I really think that it makes God sad as well. Another example that Jesus gives is love for our enemies, Matthew chapter 5. You have heard it that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. This is a tough one. And this is one sometimes that, you know, I just I wish Jesus had just left out. You know, wouldn't it, it, wouldn't it be nicer to be able to just, uh, you know, hey, just love those people who love you, people who are like you and everything. You don't You don't have to love people who don't like you. That'd be a lot easier, wouldn't it? That's not what Jesus says here. And, and you know, here we, we have people who, who would love to take away some of our Christian liberties. But when you really think about enemies, imagine yourself over in the Middle East and China where it's illegal to be a Christian and you're facing imprisonment. You're facing death because of your faith. How hard is it going to be to love those who persecute you? Imagine that your loved ones have been arrested and killed because of their faith. How hard is it going to be to love those people who did that? In Matthew 5, when Jesus was speaking these words, of course, the Jews, uh, Rome was, uh, had occupied Jerusalem, and the Jews hated the Romans. They, they weren't a sovereign nation anymore. They couldn't do whatever they, you know, what they wanted to do. They had to live under Roman law, and they hated them. They, were, they, they couldn't have a worse enemy. And Jesus says, love your enemies. And remember, he says, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other one to them. If someone asks you for their coat, give them your cloak as well. If they force you to go one mile, Go another with them. And that goes against everything that we want to do a lot of times. But Jesus says, this is a non-negotiable for Christian. And if you notice in verse 45, he says, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. This is something very important to Jesus. 
Another way that we see love in our lives is it, it identifies us as Christians. We talked a little bit about this, but in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Jesus talked a lot about bearing fruit whenever he was on earth. And, and, and Paul says the same thing here. As, as Christians, we receive the Holy Spirit. If we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, these things should identify us, and love leads the list. It should definitely be one of the most evident things in our life. And people will know whose we are because of the kind of love that we show. And love is the motivation for the things that we do. We read this in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, but I want to read it again. Uh, because Paul says that whatever we do, if we don't have love, it's nothing. And he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. That's a pretty impressive list that Paul gives, right? I mean, you know, just imagine somebody comes in. Imagine I've never studied Japanese in my life, but imagine I can just suddenly start speaking Japanese fluently. You'd be impressed by that, wouldn't you? Or have all the gift of prophecy, uh, can, can fathom all these mysteries, you know, people, you know, very, very smart, supernatural knowledge have a faith that can move mountains, that'd be impressive, right? Someone says, hey, mountain, I want you over here in the mountain. <laughs> that would be really impressive if someone could do that. And then Paul says, if I possess, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, you sell everything that you have, give it all to the poor, and just, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm letting God, I'm letting God take care of me. Those will all be impressive things. But Paul says, if you do all these things that are so impressive to people, but you don't have love, he basically says, this is what you look like to God. Everybody familiar with the little monkey that bangs the cymbals? Yeah, I've been around him a couple of times. And after about 10 seconds, you just want to kick it and bash it against the wall. But Paul says, that's, that's what... That's what we are if we don't have love whenever we do all these different things. And so the Corinthians were arguing over who was best, which, which spiritual gift was best. And Paul reminds them that there are things that are way more important than the spiritual gifts that they possess. And so Paul finishes the passage with the statement, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, why, why is love the greatest? And I came up with three things. I told Jordan first service, good preacher thing, three points. Uh, three, three things, three reasons of why love is the greatest. And the first thing is because God is love. 
John makes it very clear in 1 John 4, 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And then again in chapter, in verse 16, and so we know and rely on the, the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. God's very essence is love. At the basis of who he is, he is love. And we're supposed to love like God. He exhibits love more perfectly than anyone else ever has. And so we can take all those descriptions of love in 1 Corinthians 13 and, and take out love and put God in there. God is patient. God is kind. God keeps no records of wrongs. God, and, and it describes God's love perfectly. And John tells his readers that we're to love the way, love each other the way that God loves. And so let me ask, how are you doing in loving the way that God wants us to love? If you put your name in place of all the things in 1 Corinthians 13, how, how, does, that, how does that look? Are there some things that you need to work on? So a little homework, open up 1 Corinthians 13 this week. And put your name in place of all those things. So I was, you know, Paul is patient. When I said that in first service, Chase went. Um, sorry, I didn't need any comments. Um, but Paul is kind. And just keep going through and put your name there and see where the things are that you need to work on to show the kind of love that God asks us to love. Because I know that I would have to work on quite a bit of things. I think love is the second greatest because it, it is the greatest command. Uh, Jesus makes it very clear. Uh, he replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. A lot of times we, we skip. We don't, we don't include verse 40. But Jesus says, all the law and prophets, all of Scripture, everything that has, has been recorded hangs on these two commandments, that you love God and you love each other. And I know that especially when I was growing up, I would look at God's laws and, and the way that God wanted us to live our lives and think, oh, God's just such a so boring. You know, he doesn't want me to have any fun. All my friends are out doing all the things that they want to do, but I can't do these things because God doesn't want me to do it. And because God doesn't want me to do it, my mom doesn't want me to do it. And I would get in trouble if I did. And sometimes, you know, we look at we look at God through the lens, like John uh, mentioned in uh, one of his sermons earlier, Sinners in the Hand of Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. We look at God through that lens of here's all these rules and man, I can't wait till you break but that's not the way that God did those things. That's not why God put that there. He didn't give us the law to condemn. He gave us the law to, to show us how much he loves us. And when we look at God's law through the lens of love, we can really see that God created us. He knows us intimately, and he knows what's best for our lives. And so when God says, here's a rule, here's a law that I want you to follow, it's because he says, because I love you, 
and I want you to have the best possible life that you could possibly have. <clears throat> and so the law is there to show God's love for his children and show how we are to show that love to him and to each other. And so the psalmist had a proper view of God's law, and he was able to write, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on that law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season and whose uh, leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So we can delight in God's law because we know that God's love is shown through them. And then I think the last reason that love is the greatest is because it's going to be what, what it's going to be the one of the three that actually carries over into heaven. Think about when we get to heaven. Are we going to have to have faith? You remember the definition of faith in Hebrews 1, 11, 1? Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. When we get to heaven, it's there. We're going to see God. We're going to see all the things that John wrote about in Revelation and the streets of gold and the crystal sea. And we're going to be able to ex we'll experience all that. And we won't have to have faith in it anymore because it's right in front of us. We won't have to have hope anymore. Right? Heaven is what we're hoping for now. Right? When we die, we, we have that hope in God that we are going to be with him for eternity. And when we're there, we don't have to have hope any longer. But love will continue through eternity. The love that we have now, the way that we show love now, God's love for us, our love for God, is going to be something that continues through eternity. And we're going to be the recipient of that. Never going to end. And in Romans 8, I believe that Paul understood the, the eternal quality of love when he says, what then shall we say in response to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not sp uh, spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with uh, him graciously give us all things? Excuse me. <clears throat> who, will, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul understood love never ends. And when we get to heaven, we're going to be able to experience God's love in ways that I think that are just going to blow us away. And we're going to be able to love in ways that I think will blow us away. 
And then I thought, you know, we're at this time of year where we can really see God's love for us. And John describes it like this in 1 John chapter 4, 9 and 10. This is how God showed us his love among us. He sent his one and only son to the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The birth of Jesus is one of the most beautiful expressions of love that I think that we can ever imagine. It is when God took on flesh and became man and walked among us. And if you think about the significance of the birth, without the birth, there is no death or burial or resurrection. And God came into our world so that we can have all those things. And as far as I know, none of us are 100% Jewish. So we'd still be on the outside looking in if God had not done that. And we would still have to follow the law of Moses completely. And we wouldn't be able to experience that grace and that mercy that Jesus gives to us. And we focus a lot. We focus a lot on the end of Jesus's life, that death and that burial and the resurrection. And we should. That's where God conquered death. That's where we receive the forgiveness of our sins. But without that birth and God coming in, it's such a significant impact on our world. Our time is divided because of that event. God came 2,000 years ago to redeem his fallen creation. His birth was celebrated by the angels. It was celebrated by the shepherds. And it's been celebrated ever since. And it's something that we should celebrate today. And all the things that had been that had been prophesied since the garden, since the fall in the Garden of Eden, had now come true two thousand years ago. And so, because of the birth of Jesus, the ministry, the death, the burial, and the resurrection were all possible. And as John pointed out in, our, in the last series that he had, with Jesus coming in human form, God is with us now. And he's dwelling with us, and we can be with God for eternity. So this week, as you're spending time with your family and your friends at your parties, doing whatever you do for Christmas, I really want to challenge you to think about what the significance of the birth is and thank God for that, that he was able to, that, that he was willing to come and be with us in that way. So we have a faith that exhibits itself in trust in God. We have a hope based on God's faithfulness in our lives. And then Paul challenges us to have a love that looks like God's love for us. A love that's based on action, not on feeling. A love that's going to last through eternity. And so my challenge for you is to look at the description of love and see where you need to love more, where you need to work on your love. And let's all try to love like God loves us. We're going to sing a song. And if you have a prayer request that you would like for us to pray over as a church, that would be a time to do that. If you have a praise and you want to tell us about how God loved you in such a way that he did something absolutely wonderful in your life, we'd love to hear that. If you'd love to start your walk with God and be baptized, we would certainly love to do that as well. Just ask that you come forward as we stand and sing.